तपो क्षीण पापान शातारागिण
to see intellectually the Krishnatvam means the uh, the fact that these all pleasures are transient. Satishatvam that no pleasure is ever adequate and so on and so forth, dependence. All this I can analyze at the level of intellect and therefore I may not have any intellectual value for the objects. But that value in the heart, you may say, that emotional or impulsive value continues to remain because that heart is always seeking pleasure or happiness. And unless it discovers from somewhere, param drishtva nivartade, when something superior or subtler is found and then alone the attachment or desire for the inferior or the gross goes, otherwise it does not fall. And so we have two options. Either because the mind wants something superfluous and therefore we provide it, or we set about trying to discover something from ourselves. That is going to require penance. So that to discover something from myself is going to require a great deal of effort. It requires perhaps a lot of commitment, requires discipline, it requires a certain way of life, it requires worship, it requires a constant exposure to, to the scriptures, and so on and so forth. And slowly and slowly then when I discover something from myself, to that extent my dependence as the need of the external things slowly starts dropping off. But anyway the culmination of that comes when Atma Sukha Nirvrataha, this wise man is Atma Sukha Nirvrataha. Nirvrati means contentment, happiness, satisfaction. He is Atma Sukha Nirvrataha, completely satisfied or content with Atma Sukha. That Sukha that comes from Atma, no Sukha that is the nature of Atma. <coughs> so Prajahati, that is how the desires have been given up. Param Drashtva Nivartate, the desires do not have a scope for arising in his heart. Because he now sees the self as that very ananda, the very happiness which he has been seeking. And so, and this is called antahakana suddhi. To the extent that my mind becomes shuddham or pure, to that extent the happiness which is natural to me automatically manifests. Understand that when atma is self-shining, atma is satchidanandaham, the existence is self-shining, the awareness is self-shining, even that ānanda also is self-shining. However, it is the ānanda which is covered by all kinds of notions. As you say that Vishesha, the Samanyamusha of the Ātmā, namely Asti-bhāti, I am and I shine, that can never be veiled by anything. However, that I am ānanda, I am limitless or I am happiness, that aspect of Ātmā is veiled by ignorance. <coughs> and when that veiling goes away, as a result of the knowledge, then ānanda also is self-shining. It's not that any effort has to be made in order to be happy. Today I have to make an effort to become happy and therefore it looks as though the happiness comes from some other place, some other source. It is not that even today when the happiness seems to come from some other source, it is only the happiness that is my nature that alone is manifest. And what that object does is it just becomes instrumental in revealing what is already there. And so even when I feel, and this is where we have to pay attention, that when I feel that the happiness comes from a different place, it does not, it only comes, which is, it only manifests, the, the self, which is happiness, alone manifests itself. 
except as a cloud of ignorance and only the attachment, etc., they cover that happiness. <coughs> so here, Atma Sukhan Nirvutaha, the one who is totally content or happy or satisfied with Atma, which is the nature of happiness. And therefore, Bhashya Anitya Sukha Asaktim Hitva. Hitva having given up the Asakti. So, Asamantat Saktihi, that the total attachment that I have with the Sukha, with the, with the happiness. But what is the kind of happiness that I am seeking today? Bhashya Anitya Sukha Asaktim. The happiness that is coming from Bhashya or external objects. Which happiness is what? Anitya, which is non-permanent or not lasting. So that transient or momentary happiness that comes from the external objects, that happiness has been completely given up by the wise man in wake of the knowledge or in wake of that happiness of the self that manifests itself. When my mind becomes pure, or to the extent that the mind becomes pure, to that extent the happiness that Atma is, becomes manifest without an effort on my part. And so rather than making an effort to acquire happiness, if we make an effort to purify the mind, so address ourselves with what we call the impurities, desires, likes, dislikes, and all these different impulses or whatever, when we address ourselves to them, and as they are resolved, that happiness automatically becomes manifest. And so, therefore, wise man is one whose heart is totally pure, because the final impurity called the ignorance also is eliminated. Even that Dehatma Buddhi, taking the body to be the self, is also a product of ignorance, that also has been eliminated. And therefore, one who enjoys a heart that is pure totally, well, in his heart, the happiness which Atma is, is self-evident. He doesn't have to meditate in order to be happy. He doesn't have to do anything in order to be happy. Why? Because there is nothing that obstructs the happiness. All that happens in our case is that happiness which is natural is obstructed. Obstructed on account of all kinds of misconceptions that are created out of ignorance and all kinds of false habits which have been created on account of ignorance. And so when these obstructions go away, so all along Vedanta tells us, it talks about only praptasya praptihi, accomplishment of what is already accomplished. And so the so-called happiness also is already accomplished. Even that antahakana shuddhi, that purity of the mind also, is really the nature of the mind, and impurity is something that is not natural to the mind. It's something foreign. And that's the reason why we can eliminate that. That's the reason why the mind can become pure. <coughs> and finally, impurity, as you said, is ignorance. And so, wise man effortlessly abides in the self, which is ānanda. Ghatasthadīpavat <coughs> shashvat antareva prakāśate How he abides in himself, antareva prakāśate Where is his mind? His mind is no more running outward into objects. Usually my mind dwells upon the objects, eliminates all those objects, meaning I am, I shine, so my mind is extrovert. Wise man is the one whose mind is totally abides, which totally abides in the self. It eliminates itself. So a very beautiful illustration is given for the mind of the wise man. 
घटस्थ दीपवत घट मीन्स जार एंड दीप मीन्स लैम्प आर लैम्प दैट इज प्लेस इन द जार सो हाउ दैट लैम्प इलिमिन्स इट सेल्फ द लैम्प द लाइट ऑफ द लैम्प डजन गो आउट बट इट इलिमिन्स द इंटीरियर ऑफ द जार एंड सो ऑल्सो द माइंड ऑफ द वाइज मैन विच शाइंस ऑल्सो इलिमिन्स विद इन इट डजन रन आउट देर इज नो एक्सट्रोवर्टेडनेस दैट इन द सेंस दैट mind is completely abiding that doesn't mean necessarily that the mind doesn't function or that it doesn't have any contact with the outside objects or it doesn't have any any vyavahara that's not the intention but even while conducting the business with the outside world he ever abides in himself meaning that he is never unsettled from himself he is never perturbed or disturbed from himself so his abidance that is called sirpagnya dukheshu anudvignamanah sukheshu vigatasprahah vitaraga bhayakrodah sthitadihi munihi uchyate his called sthitadihi munu's mind abides munihi the contemplative sage dukheshu anudvignamanah what appears to be dukha or painful situations anudvignamanah whose mind is not perturbed because he does not look upon any situation as painful because he knows every situation is nothing but the manifestation of the self and therefore there is nothing painful to him sukhe shuvikatas prahah and what appears to be the situation of happiness vigatas prahah his mind doesn't jump with any kind of a elation because again there is no spruha or there is no greed or there is no craving for anything and he doesn't crave for creating a situation which is conducive nor does he get perturbed when he comes across a situation that is not conducive because his happiness does not come from situation if my happiness is dependent upon a situation then the situation has to be conducive and then alone i can be happy wise man is one whose happiness comes from himself meaning that his mind abides in the self and therefore he doesn't depend upon any situation or any particular thing in order to be happy so if if i am dependent upon something then that something always counts to me if i am dependent upon my happiness or security upon a situation or a person then every mood of the situation or every mood of that person becomes important to me everything will hurt me or everything will make me happy because my happiness or security depends upon that person or that situation but if i am happy by myself secure by myself then what happens elsewhere does not in any way influence me as much as it doesn't disturb me so i don't react there is no reaction of elation or depression an ordinary person gets depressed or sad when the person meets account encounters a situation which is unfavorable and the same person who becomes depressed in one situation becomes elated in another situation when the situation is favorable so you know for sure that the situation can make me happy definitely a situation can make me unhappy also and to the extent if i am i jump with joy i've seen people when little bit you know when something just little good happens they just jump to the ceiling they're so happy 
and I really get worried about them because, oh, look at this person is so happy at such a little thing. Another little thing can make that person equally unhappy, you know. The moment someone doesn't talk, doesn't look, doesn't smile, something happens, immediately you to see the expression on the face of that person, depression or sadness, immediately. And this the mind always is like a seesaw. So, the illustration of a wise man's mind, ghatasthadipavat, how that lamp in a jar shines and illumines within and so also the mind of the yogi shines. And uh, again, that yathadipo nivatastaha nengate sopamasmrata yogino yatachittasya yunyato yogamatmanaha. In the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna gives a lust, compares the mind of a yogi with that of a lamp placed in a breezeless place. A lamp which is in a breezeless, not necessarily airless place because then it won't even get the oxygen, you know. So oxygen the lamp requires, but there's no breeze at all. And therefore the flame is steady. Flame is burning, it's shining, but it's steady. And so also the mind of a yogi is burning, meaning it is enlightened. It is shining, nengate, but it doesn't get disturbed. And so there is no breeze in the mind of a yogi. And what is that breeze? Breeze is nothing but in the form of kama, krodha, or raga, dvesha. That's the breeze. So when that storm comes, well, mind, land even gets extinguished, let alone get disturbed. And so the land gets disturbed whenever a little breeze comes in the form of likes and dislikes or all these various impulses. One whose mind is totally free from these impulses, that mind abides like a lamp in a breezeless place. <clears throat> All that lamp of knowledge is very beautiful, explained by Shankaracharya in the 10th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, when Lord Krishna talks about the lamp of knowledge. How I, who is who abides in the hearts of, heart of the person, I reveal myself, I light the lamp of knowledge and dispel the darkness of ignorance in the heart of my devotees. Says when I see my devotees totally committed to me with having nothing else to do, I find that they are totally dependent upon me, they cannot do without me. As long as I still require other million other things, so long it's fine. But when I discover that I cannot just do without this, so Tesham eva anukampasam. Then there is anukampa. That compassion is created in Lord's mind, you know. We manage to create compassion in his heart. Aham agnana jamtamah nasayami. He says, then I destroy the darkness in their heart. Atma bhavastaha jnana deepena bhasvada. By the blazing lamp of knowledge, I dispel the darkness of ignorance in their heart. <coughs> and there Shankaracharya explains all the different elements involved in a lamp. He says the ghee or the oil which sustains the lamp is that lamp this devotion, you know, the devotion to the Lord or total commitment and the commitment brings about your devotion to the knowledge. So that is that oil that sustains the lamp. And that lamp has to be placed in a recess which is free from the breeze of all the attachment to the external object. And that lamp must have a container, which is a heart, which is vairagya in there, you know. 
So how the devotion of the bhakti can sustain only in a container of vairagya or dispassion. So when there is that container, you know, the lamp container is of the nature of vairagya, dispassion, in that there is that ghee or the oil of the nature of bhakti or the devotion, then there is lighted a lamp of knowledge, atma anatma viveka, that's the lamp which dispels the darkness of ignorance. So dispassion and devotion, both of them are extremely important. So that is the heart of a wise man, like a jar. So the heart of a wise man has total dispassion, has devotion which sustains this lamp, and the lamp of the knowledge shines in his heart. And that lamp itself is knowledge which is ananda. And how that light fills up the within of the jar completely, and so also, the heart of the wise man is completely filled up, filled up with knowledge, enlightenment, or wisdom, filled up with ananda, with joy. So, antareva prakashate, he shines within himself. <coughs> and so that asakti, bhāhya anitya sukha asakti, that asakti is the attachment for the happiness of external objects, which happiness is only momentary, that asakti itself becomes an obstacle to knowledge. So that one thing is mentioned here. Even in the, the characteristics of Siddha Prajna, the one thing that Lord Krishna mentions there is this karma or the desire, which is the same as asakti or attachment. So prajahadi yada kaman sarvan manogatan. When all the desires in the heart, when all of them have gone away. Meaning that karma or the desire is one obstacle to knowledge. And it, it is like Ravana, is a whole army of it. Moment karma is there, the krodha will be there. Krodha is there, anger. Lobha the greed, moha the delusion, mother the pride, matsarya jealousies, all these are products of karma. So when we talk of karma, all these other uh, distortions of the mind are automatically included in there. And when the mind is free from that, <clears throat> then effortlessly the mind abides. Mind wants to abide in the self, it doesn't really want to go elsewhere, but when it doesn't find anything within, it has to run without. And therefore it requires a great deal of effort to attain, acquire what we call an abiding mind, requires a tremendous effort. That's where an effort is required. No effort is required otherwise, but effort is required to make a mind or to bring about a mind which is abiding which, and so to make it free from this asakti for the external objects and from the various reactions is a tremendous task. Shankaracharya compares the task with the task of totally turning the flow, the, the flow of the river, not turning only the direction, but the river that is flowing from the mountain top, reversing and taking it back there, you know. So taking the river back to its source, what an effort that would require, that's the effort that is required in order to bring the mind back. Because at the moment, the mind also is compared to a river, it is flowing out. Supposedly heart is the, the location for the mind, mind abides in the heart. At the moment, it is running out like a river. It has five outlets in the form of five organs of perception. And there are all these fivefold objects out there in the world. And this mind, through these 
apertures or the doors of the sense organs is always running out. This is the natural direction, just as the water naturally flows from a higher level to the lower level, so also the mind naturally runs out from, from within to without through these doors of the sense organs. And to turn that flow, reverse, to make the reverse that flow is to go against gravity. So it is naturally water can gravitate below and so also the mind can gravitate towards the object. That is easy. But to turn the flow is a tremendous task. It's like because you have to work again, act against the gravity. And to completely turn around the tendency of the mind to make the mind introvert. So Paranchikani Vetrunaswambuhu, the Lord has made this Khani or the Indriyani Paranchi extrovert. The sense organs are made extrovert by the Lord. Or the mind is made extrovert. Tasmat Parangpashadi Nantaratman. And therefore, a person always looks outward. He never looks within. So, Kaschit Dhiraha Pratyagatmana Maikshat Avurta Chakshuhu Amurtatva Michan. And this Kaschit Dhiraha, some Dhiraha. Dhiraha means a man of fortitude, a man of wisdom, a Viveka, one who has Avurta Chakshuhu. He, turn, he closes his eyes or turns his eyes inward. Avurta Chakshu, meaning he turns his attention inward. And that will require. So in, in, in Indian mythological literature, all this Purana, everywhere we, we hear description of the Rishis performing penance for thousands of years, I mean, you know, that speaks for something, that thousands of years is the amount of penance that is required to completely turn the flow of mind from extrovert to introvert, without not distorting it, suppressing it, or repressing it. So, turning the flow, because you cannot repress that water too long, it will burst out and break the bonds. And so, we have to really direct it and turn it. But anyway, that's the task that you have to perform, that's beautiful thing anyway, because that's all we have to do. All we have to do is to go back to the source. So, someone said religion is, that's what religion means, is to bind back to the source. And thus, that is a religion which enables us to fold up all our wandering mind and then make it abiding or make it introvert. That would be called religion which enables us to withdraw our attention slowly and become an abiding person. <coughs> and all values and all sorts of things are meant for that purpose alone. And anyway, then ultimately the scriptures, then the knowledge and then the abiding. So, this verse gives a very beautiful picture of the mind of a wise man, which is like a lamp shining in a jar, and so also the mind shines within himself. <coughs> so, Bhashyendriyo Dhavam Anitya Saktim Vasanam Hitva. Vasana is the habit, habit. The mind is a habit of running outward. So, Vasana, whenever the word is used, understand that to be a habit. A habitual tendency of the mind, which becomes rooted on account of a, a certain kind of a, uh, a practice that mind has gone through for a length of time, it just becomes a habit. So vasana means is habitual patterns of the mind, and habitual pattern is to run out hitva when that is given up. Tatrahetu atma sukhanivrutaha, and the reason why the wise man is able to give up that or bring his mind, become make his mind abiding is because he has discovered the satisfaction within himself. Ghatastha Deepavad Antahayava Svasakshitaya Prakashade 
and the he shines, the wise man's mind shines, so Sakshataya, he witnesses himself. So, meaning he's happy with himself, by himself. <coughs> idea is that other people do not know him. Atmanubhava, that experience with the knowledge that I have of myself, that cannot be known to other people. So it's no way for us to really know, you know, what actually the situation is with a person. And therefore, whether we can recognize a wise man or not, well, that all is going to depend upon our own sensitivity. But then, there's no way for any, for other person to know the experience of the state of mind of other person. And that is what is meant by saying that his mind shines like a lamp in a jar which outsiders do not see. And so also, his being is completely illumined by the wisdom in his heart, for which we have no access. But then, this is how the situation is, that he illumines himself. <coughs> his mind no more runs outwardly. Not that it does not contact, but it doesn't run, there is no craving. There is no dependence or need for anything other than himself. Evam ukta prakarena jivan muktena praradha sankshaya pariyantam vartitavnimityaha Evam, in this manner, ukta prakarena, in the manner that has been stated, jivan muktena by the wise man who is free even while living, Prarabdha Sankshaya Pariyantam Pariyantam until Sankshaya, until the exhaustion of Prarabdha. So this is how the wise man continues. Continues all the time illumining or shining within himself. Meaning abiding within himself. Happy with himself, by himself. In this manner, a wise man must continue until the Prarabdha gets exhausted. Prarabdha is that set of karma or action which has given rise to this body <coughs> and as long as that moment of the Prarabdha karma is, so long the body will continue to be alive and so long there is an entity called Jivan Muktaha because Jivan means living and that has to do with the condition of the body. So that Muktaha or the freedom really has nothing to do with the body but then as far as the onlookers are concerned that freedom is characterized by freedom while living. And that living means as long as the gross body continues, and the gross body continues as long as the prarabdha karma is there, as long as that momentum is there, that momentum will go on until it gets exhausted. And the wise man does not come in the way of this natural process of the body exhausting its own prarabdha. It does not come in the way of the prarabdha of the body. As as uh, Manisha Panchikam says, Prarabdhaya Samarpitam Svavapuhu. Wise man is a person who has handed over his body to Prarabdha. Meaning, he doesn't have to take care of it also, nor does he have to use it for any particular purpose, whatever the wind of Prarabdha. Viveka Chudamani compares the life of a wise man with that of a dry leaf which drops off from the tree and where does it go where the wind takes that leaf? So how a dry leaf, you know, it just floats in the current of wind. It's a wind that determines its destiny. 
and so also the life of a wise man is like that leaf but the wind of prarabdha takes it wherever it takes it and that prarabdha determines his destiny he doesn't have he doesn't interfere in that process so prarabdha sankshaya paryantam until that prarabdha comes to an exhaustion until then the wise man may remain like this vartitavyam that's how he should conduct himself or that is how he conducts himself i mean there is no point in saying that he should do this or not because there is no need for him to be instructed because he is nothing to achieve when i have some vested interest then the question of do's and don'ts come when i have nothing to gain and nothing to lose then there is no need for me to do something or not to do a given thing kim karaniyam kim karaniyam kim akaraniyam you know so what is to be done or what is not to be done so kim bodhavyam kim abodhavyam and so there is no such rule for the wise person but how you will find him conduct him himself is what is described in the verse 51 upadistho pitad dharmaihi nalipto vyomavan munihi ಉಪಾಧಿಸ್ಥೋಪಿಸಾಕ್ಷಿತ್ವೇನ ಸ್ಥಿತಿ ಮುನಿ Munhi means a sage, a contemplative sage. So Munhi means a sage. He is a contemplative sage. Manana Shilavan Munhi. One always contemplates because he always abides in himself. Viranta Vakyeshu Sada Ramantaha. As Kaubina Panchakam says, describing his wise people, Viranta Vakyeshu Sada Ramantaha. All the time dwelling in the Vedanta Vakya. In what the Vedanta Upanishads reveal, their mind all the time dwells in that <coughs> and so is called munihi upadistha dehari upari upadhau sthitaha upadistha one who remains in the upadhi what is the upadhi dehari the gross body the subtle body the body mind intellect is upadhi and even though apparently functioning through this upadhi he does so here is a wise man also is an enlightened jeeva and therefore the still the association of the upadhi remains but how how what is the association now with the body not the kind of association that an ignorant person has an ignorant person takes the body to be a self so that is called upadhistha purushah prakritisthohi bhunte prakriti jan gunan in the 13th chapter lord krishna says this purushah or this self prakrutistha remaining in prakruti or remaining in matter where this body mind intellect is or prakruti of the matter this purushah or the atma the self prakrutistha and so remaining in matter which means he is totally identified ordinary person is totally identified with the upadi and therefore bhungte prakruti jan gunan all this guna 
means sattvic, rajas or tamas conditions with the mind creates, this purusha bhumte, he becomes a bhokta, he becomes an enjoyer or experiencer. It's no choice. When I'm identified with the body or the mind or the intellect, then whatever situation the body presents before me becomes my situation. And the situation of mind and intellect, all of them become my situations. And that alone leads me, that binds me to this upadi. And so the upadi goes from one situation to another one, where I also go along with that. So really, upadis matter, and atma cannot be in any way bound with it, because both of them belong to different class. Just as space cannot be bound with the part, so when part moves, the space doesn't move, because space is totally unconnected. However, on account of ignorance alone, it looks as though Atma is connected to the Upadi. And therefore, an ignorant person, his destiny is determined by the Upadi. Wherever the mind goes, he also goes. Any subtle body goes from one gross body to another one, well, he also winds up as though going with it. But that is not the kind of association that a wise man has. Therefore, it is said, Dehadi Upadi Sakshitvena Sthitopi. He is merely Sakshi or witness to the upadi, such as body, mind, intellect. Sthitahapi. <coughs> so not attached to it, meaning one who doesn't have identification of the body. One who doesn't take the body or the mind as I, but who knows the I as the witness. Yat swapna jagar sashuptam avaiti nityam. So one who knows constantly the dream, the waking, the deep sleep as a witness. One who knows oneself as a witness of the waking state. Witness of the dream state, witness of the deep sleep state. So one who knows oneself as witness. Sakshi, Cheta, Kevalo, Nirgunascha. One who knows the Atma is Sakshi, witness. Cheta, the consciousness. Kevala, one, without a second. Nirguna, devoid of any qualities or limitations. <coughs> that is how Upadhistha. Even though apparently from the standpoint of the onlookers, it looks as though the wise man is functioning through the body, but from his own standpoint, he doesn't have any kartrutvam, he doesn't have any bhoktrutvam, because the doership and enjoyership come only on account of identification with the mind, and so the wise man, free from the sense of kartrutva and bhoktrutva, remaining a mere witness of the functioning of this body, mind, or intellect. Tad dharmaihi nalittaha vyomavat so just as the space is nalittaha, the space is unaffected by or unpolluted by whatever there is in the space. So here if you burn fire, if there is fragrance or there is stink, whatever there is in the atmosphere, just as it does not in any way change the space, just as space remains totally unaffected or uh, untainted by the, the qualities or characteristics of what is in space. So red chair is there, the space doesn't become red on account of the color of the chair. Or the wind may carry some fragrance, or it may carry some stink, odor, whatever it is, the space doesn't become affected by that odor because space is pure. And how the space doesn't, it remains unaffected by anything that is within it, and so also the wise man, the awareness, is unaffected in any way by the conditions of the mind. So mind being what it is, may bring up different conditions. Prakasam, pravrittim, moha meva cha pandava, nadveshti sampravuttani, 
different thoughts may arise in the mind. Mostly the sattvic thought, sometimes a rajas thought, sometimes a tamas thought may arise. Nadveshti sampravutta. Then after that. And so udasina vadasina. One who dwells like udasina, totally unconnected or unconcerned, meaning having no identification or no likes and dislikes for the thoughts also. Gunayriyonavichalyate. And therefore one who is unperturbed by this guna sattvarajastamas. So this is what he said, na anulittaha, one who is not in any way tainted by the qualities or the characteristics of the upadhi. Karma lepaha nastiyeva, and therefore there is no lepa, he is not tainted by the karma. So actions may be performed by the upadhi, all right, but the wise man in no way is tainted by even the actions being performed because he doesn't have the sense of doership. I mean, he abides in the knowledge that everything functions in my presence, that I do not do anything. Atma never does anything. Atma of anyone. So no one really does anything. But that I do something is merely a notion on my part. In fact, I never do anything except that the wise man knows the self is totally action, inaction, means actionless. In the presence of the self, all the actions just get performed. Yasya sannidhi matrena dehendriya manodhyaya svakyat vyapareshu svakyeshu vartande preditayava Just in whose mere presence this body, mind, intellect, all of these perform their functions. So wise man abides in this knowledge that in my presence everything functions. Naiva kinchit karomiti I don't do anything. Things just get done. It is a matter which is acting upon the matter. Indriyani indriya feshu vartande. So this indriya sense organs, they interact with the sense objects and that transaction is called karma. Who am I? I am just mere witness of this transaction. In my presence, the transaction or interaction of this upadi with the other objects takes place. And therefore, there is no sense of doership at all. And therefore, the karma does not bind him. Na karma lepo nastiv na anulitaha. He is totally untainted by or unaffected by the upadhi and the karma. <coughs> so upadhi sthopi tad dharmaihi na liptaha vyomavat munihi. So upadhi sthopi na liptaha. <coughs> Sarvatra avasthito dehe tathat manopa lipyade. Yasa sarvagatam sokshmyat akasham nopa lipyade. All these ideas are all expanded in Bhagavad Gita, just a space which is all pervasive and still doesn't get tainted by anything and so also Atma is all pervasive in the body and everywhere and still doesn't get tainted in any way by the attributes of the body or by the qualities of the body. And upadisthopi nalipthaha, that's important. Sarvendriya gunabhasam, sarvendriya vivarjitam, even though appearing as functioning through the sense organs, the self is sarvendri vivarjitam, is in fact devoid of all the sense organs. So one who sees without the eyes, who hears without the ears, who walks without the legs, who acts without the hands or the arms, so that is how the Atma is. Sarvavit <coughs> In fact, wise man is what? Sarvavit? He is omniscient, he is knower of everything. 
he knows everything. Right in the sense that he knows what really is to be known. So it's called Sarvavit or Sarvagnya. So wise man also is called Sarvagnya or omniscient in a certain sense. Because he knows the content of everything. Yasmin Vignade Sarvam Vignatam Bhavati. Having known one thing, you know everything. Because knowing the cause, the effect is as well known. And the cause is the self. So Atma, which is Brahman, is the cause of everything, is the content of everything. So one who appreciates Svatmanam Sarvamikshade, one who appreciates the self alone as manifesting or functioning everywhere, he has known everything. He may not know the detail of the things. However, he knows the truth of everything. So the truth of everything is the self. Truth of everything is Brahman. And therefore, he knows everything in that sense. Just as we can recognize these parts made of clay. And that's how you have known the parts. Even though you may not know who made the part and when it was made and how it was made, etc. But then the, the truth of the part is clay. And when you know that clay, you as well know the part. And so the wise man knows the truth of everything. That's why it's called Sarvavit, all-knowing. All-knowing in as much as he knows the truth of everything, which is one. So Sarvagnyopi. And of course, he is an enlightened person, therefore also he may know a lot of things. Even as far as Vyavahara is concerned, he would know a lot of things because when your mind is clear, it's very easy to know things. So it's very easy to grasp things, very easy to perceive things, perception becomes very clear. Our perception was clouded because of so many complexes within and therefore the mind doesn't perceive things properly or it distorts what it perceives. When those complexes, etc. are not there, then the mind doesn't distort and a wise man can even clearly perceive. As far as Vyavhara is concerned, also is very clear. And so it's called Anapeksha Sutihi Daksha. Daksha means the one who is skilled. So even when it comes to performance of Vyavhara, he's quite well versed in the sense that he has a very clear perception and that way also he is a, a, a man of very fine perception. So that way also we can call him Sarvavit means all-knowing. All-knowing in that sense that one is capable of knowing anything or capable of handling anything. Sarvavit. Moodavattishthe. But here there is an advice for this wise man. Moodavattishthe. Says he must remain like a mood. He should remain like a, a dull person. Prakratavattishthe. As though he doesn't know anything. In fact, he must show himself as a one who knows nothing. And this is a tradition in India among the sadhus that really, really great people used to just pose as totally like mad people, you know, or people who totally are ignorant or primitive or, you know, or uh, like illiterate or whatever it is. And this is how they just present themselves. They do not reveal their identity. That used to be customary. The sadhu does not reveal his identity. Nobody knows his name. These days, of course, we publish all kinds of things about the sadhu, where he was born and what he was doing and so on and so forth. All of that is considered against the tradition. So, you say you should never ask the history of a sadhu. You should never go into the root of a river. Nor should you ever go or ask the history of a sadhu. Never. Just take him for what he is. And there may be a lot of disappointments also because the river, if you go to the root, you find totally disenchanted, no? What is that? Small little streams, not really fascinating. And when you go into the history of a person, you may find something, you know, not at all inspiring or quite reverse. But anyway, that's 
that may be the reason or whatever is the reason but then it is that sadhu's root because he is no more what he was when you completely give up the things then there is no connection with the past however prakrutavat tishthet like a uh, illiterate or a raw person you know uh, all the sophistication he has of thinking of perception and everything but then he never reveals that he only acts like a very ordinary person <coughs> they tell different stories you know this uh, is an incident in um, banaras it seems so there are many learned people there and many sadhus are also there and you never know some look like beggar some look like crazy fellow some look like mad people some look like this ordinary people and from the appearance you won't be able to judge them and it seems that there was one pandit one scholar was conducting sometimes some discourses some classes in an assembly maybe every every so often every evening used to come in and teach a group of people something open there and many people come and sit and listen and you think that well some people have nothing else to do so they sit and listen you might feel you know and there used to be a person like this like a beggar who used to sit and listen there and nobody paid any attention to that and once this pandit he made a mistake he didn't he forgot something and did not know you know uh, a certain grammatical form or did not know something and he got stuck there at that at that moment this man who looked like a beggar you know totally a crazy fellow he immediately said you know what the particular formation was and everybody was just flabbergasted is what then they realized that this man looks like a beggar actually is a very great person next day the fellow did not turn up why because his identity was known and therefore he did not turn up again you know many people they are just so simple otherwise very learned people very well regarded when they go to other assemblies and listen to other people there was this mahatma he would just go and sit on the sand like this katha is going on you know ramayana or bhagavata etc is being his discourses are going on they go and listen there and sit right there in the sand as though totally you know uh, unconcerned about their status or about anything so somebody recognizes them immediately gives them an asana etc but says moodavat tishthet prakrutavat tishthet a wise man should be totally unassuming never revealing what he is and always conduct himself like an absolutely an ordinary person that's all prakrutavat so sarvavit moodavat tishthet असक्तया those things which present themselves by on their own so without your desiring the things that present themselves so sadhus always this is one of the things that they never want to they never should desire anything the things if they present themselves before them well and good and therefore the whole purpose of bhiksha that you go and present yourself and just announce bhavati bhikshan dehi oh mother please give me bhiksha and this lady comes out and gives him whatever he, she gives is fine with him that's called yadrachha 
Meaning, you don't say that I want a chapati today, I want sambar today or something like that. You, know? you don't plan your meals. Here, of course, we do. Swamiji, please come to my place on Sunday for bhiksha. What would Swamiji like to have? You know, Swamiji said, I would like to have payasam and I like to have vada and things like that. And everything is all planned. But all that was not there for sadhus. Of course, sadhus were not part of the society the way we are, and still they were serving the society but remaining detached from the society and therefore not a part of the social structure. And they would sustain themselves only on bhiksha. If somebody gives them a piece of cloth or yathya charpata verachita kantha punya punya vivarjita pantha yogi yoga niyojita chitta ramate bala unmattavadeva as Shankarajara says in Bhajagavindam ramate bala unmattavadeva Like a child he plays unmatta like a madman he conducts himself. And what sort of a cloth does he have? He doesn't have any tailors and doesn't have any uh, shopping centers and things like that. Ratya charpata virachita kantaha. Ratya means the street. And on the street, this charpata, all these pieces of cloth are lying, are there thrown away by people. He picks them up. Virachita kantaha. Many sadhus do this also. They pick up these uh, rags, you know, which you find on the streets, wash them, and then arrange them, and sew them. And thus you have a, a kantha, kantha means a covering, like a quilt. A quilt that is made up of the pieces of cloth which are found in the street. That is, he is happy with that, you know. So that ratya charpada virachita kantha. He is a kantha or a quilt to cover his body, made up of all these rags found in the street. And where does he walk? Punya punya vivarjita pantha. His pantha or the path, is devoid of punya and a punya. Neither he performs what we call meritorious action, nor he perform what we call a sin. He is beyond them both. So punya, punya, vivarjita, pantaha. He, is, he neither follows dharma nor a dharma. I mean, we cannot classify him at all because he is... See, dharma comes only when I have that ahankara, that I am doing something, and when I do something, it must be done in a proper way. When that identification is not there, when things only happen, well, he doesn't do anything. So, punya, punya, vivarjita, pantha, yogi, yoga, niyojita, chittaha. His chitta, the mind, all the time, dwells in himself. Ramate, balon, mattavadeva. He sports like a child, or he wanders like a madman. And so, this is how the wise. Therefore, says, sarvatra visheshu. Yadrucha prapte, so whatever food presents itself on his path, well he takes it. Whatever clothing comes before him, fine, he uses it. If nothing comes, then also is fine. If something comes, then also is fine. But Yadrucha prapte, so api visheshu, asakti rahitaham. He doesn't have any asakti or attachment for anything that presents before him. And so, without being attached, without being dependent, or without reaction, you don't find any reaction at all, he's ever happy with whatever comes or whatever does not come. So, asakta rahita. So, he's asakta hai. In that case, he's not attached to a place, he's not attached to a setup, he's not attached to anything. And therefore, he cannot be confined to anything. A wise man really cannot be confined to a setup, he cannot be confined to any particular mode of life at all, because he doesn't see the need to conform to anything. Nor is it, is it disruptive, nothing at all. Asakto, vayu, vacharet, like vayu, the wind. How unattached? 
So wind is a very beautiful illustration of asakti, anasakti, meaning unattachment. Wind is never attached to anything. It goes to every place. It goes to a place where it is, which is thinking. Same wind goes to a place which is fragrant also. It goes equally into the respiratory system of all the living beings, whatever they are. And it comes out also totally unattached. How the wind, in spite of moving everywhere, doesn't get caught up anywhere, doesn't get stuck anywhere. Wind never gets stuck. It moves everywhere freely without getting stuck. And so also is a wise man who moves freely because he doesn't have any hindrance at all. What creates hindrance in moving to places is my own complexes. So one who doesn't have any complexes or doesn't have anything to achieve or doesn't have anything to prove, doesn't have anything to show, doesn't have anything to gain, well, he is free to be anywhere and still unattached to anything. So from any situation, he can walk into any situation, he can walk out of any situation also. He has no direction at all and so he just freely moves. That's why wondering, why, what charayal? Meaning that he should not be attached to any place, he should not be attached to or associated with anything at all. Like why or the wind is unassociated with anything and so also the wise man should not associate himself with anything. In fact, they would say that formerly the custom was that this wandering monks would not dwell in a place for more than three days because beyond that an attachment comes. Not they don't have a home anyway. They don't have any ashramas also. They would only dwell or they would just sleep under the tree. They would not even enter the, the towns or villages. They would always be in the outskirts of the towns or villages. The only purpose why they would go into a town or a village is for bhiksha. And again go out on the outskirts of the village or wherever there may be a tree and lie under there. And there also should not spend more than three days. They think that if you lie under, if you sit under a tree for for long, certain length of time, then that also, then you also you develop an attachment there. So no attachment at all. Why was all the time wandering like like air or like wind rather? About Sukadevji, the son of Veda Vyasam, you know, Vyasam Shukam Gaudapadam Mahantam, that Sukadevji is supposed to be the teacher of Gaudapadacharya. He was, he is an ideal yogi that way. He would not stay in a place for more than what it takes to milk a cow. You know, that's all. That's the maximum that he would stay in a, a place as long as it takes to milk a cow, all the time wandering. Anyway, this is the ideal picture that Indian culture has about freedom. Freedom, the total internal freedom makes you free in every respect. Not that there is a restriction upon a person that he should not do this or he should do that. But then seekers of knowledge are given this instruction. This is what we find naturally in a wise person. That's totally unattached. Because there is no dependence upon anything, there is no need in any way, or there is no demand on anything. A wise man doesn't demand anything from anybody or any situation. He is not ever a demanding person, he never asserts himself, he never imposes himself, nothing, because there is no need. No assertion, no imposition, no demand. That shows that he is independent. So our freedom or independence always gets expressed in terms of freedom from demands and freedom from requirements. He doesn't have demand. This is the idea. But when the mind is free from demand, then it will be like this, that it will not 
mean it will not need to remain in a place or in a situation for a length of time etc and therefore we will find that person why watcher as this wandering so wandering like the wind <coughs> they tell you the story like this man is walking on the street a sadhu with all his mat locks you know hair growing all over is i mean flowing from his head and is walking on this road and the wind is such that the hair comes on his face he cannot see you know he doesn't cut his hair his face is covered by the hair because the direction of the wind was such he is walking he turned around all of a sudden you know and then the hair went to the other side and he started walking this way doesn't matter which side you are walking or which direction you are walking okay turn around that's as simple as that and so why that shows the freedom that this sadhus enjoy and so this how do you pictureize freedom you is no need though there is no need really to to be concerned about a particular lifestyle etc but a lifestyle represents a certain frame of mind and so freedom from attachment a, a freedom to move move about to feel at home in every situation etc all of these talks of a frame of mind which is called a free state of mind so freedom that a person enjoys naturally expresses itself in a particular lifestyle or a particular pattern of behavior it is not that the lifestyle or behavioral pattern that makes you free but the freedom that automatically brings about brings it about and therefore they do give instruction to the seekers to the mumukshus that you should follow a certain way of life which ultimately will become natural so therefore what a wise man does spontaneously becomes a value for a seeker so this is how you will find them spontaneously and thus that becomes a value for us that i also in i also adopt a certain way of life i also adopt certain set of values so then they become sadhanam they become the, the practices in course of time they become natural or spontaneous as shankaracharya explains what is the lakshanam or spontaneous for a wise man becomes yatna sadhyani sadhanani so they become the means which are to be attained as a result of effort and ultimately they become natural or spontaneous but this is how wise man is spontaneously <coughs>